Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to Insiders. There's short story, novel, and the epic level. And you can try out any level for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers, meaning you, insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows, the Read Harder podcast, which gives recommendations for the Read Harder challenge task by task, and Book Riot Remixed, where we randomly pair up hosts from across our shows to talk about, well, whatever they want. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, our new release index, the Epic Book Club, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. That's insiders.bookriot.com. Hello and welcome to When in Romance, the Book Riot podcast focused on all things romance storytelling. We are recording episode 83, and we are recording it on Saturday, May 15th. And if you are thinking to yourself that Jess's impression of Trisha has gotten really, really good, I do have some news. Uh, This is actually Trisha. Jess uh, (laughs) is not available for today's episode. She will be back next time around. But in the meantime, we have a wonderful, exciting, very special guest, Book Riot's own Jen Northington. Hi, Jen. Hello, Trisha, and hello, everyone who's listening. I am so excited to be here. And we are so excited to have you. I would like to say that this is the first time that Jen and I have ever podcasted together, <laughs> but it's actually the third. We have, uh, we've had a couple of podcast fails uh, on this episode, but we're really excited to give it another shot. Um, but before we do, Jen, I, I have mentioned before, even though you've now told me a couple of times, I still don't remember your actual title. <laughs> I continue to just think of you as the miraculous you know, uh, organizer of all sorts of Book Riot things. Thank you. That is a better job title than the one I actually have, which is Manager of Editorial Operations. I'll have to see about updating my business card because it doesn't mean a whole lot if unless you're me and have the job. <laughs> so so what that means, yeah, is basically that I am a support role for all of the editorial staff. I try to take care of as many of the logistical and operational things as possible so that they can make the content happen. And it's a lot of spreadsheets, which I actually really enjoy. But I also get to do a lot of book recommending because I am on the Get Booked podcast with Amanda Nelson, where we do personalized reading recommendations. And then also the sci-fi fantasy podcast SFF Yeah with Sharifa Williams, which is, you know, one of my great loves is sci-fi and fantasy, all things. Which is a little bit of a teaser. We'll be coming back to that later. Which is, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a fun episode. And we talked before about the fact that this is your second time with When in Romance. You, When I was out last year, you and Jess podcasted. Yeah, and Jess and I got to talk about Jane Austen and adaptations thereof, which was so much fun. And now I am so excited to get to talk about Beverly Jenkins with you. So I feel like I won the, you know, When in Romance topic lottery. 
Yeah, it's not bad. Not a bad way to way to start. <laughs> um, before we get into all of that, we are going to do a quick welcome and shout out. It sounds like we have a bunch of new listeners in India, which we are delighted by, and we would love to to hear from all of you. It is also a good opportunity to let you know that we know that things are are rough there right now, and we've been thinking of all of you. We think of all of you from all over the world. There's there are things going on all over the place, and and it's tough. So we are grateful that you choose to spend some of your time with us here. As I mentioned, we do love to hear from people. We heard from a few uh, this last time around. Um, Tanya mentioned that she would be delighted to have some additional cover coveraging um, going on on the <laughs> Wet and Romance podcast. She specifically mentioned that she was very grateful that, you know, we'd moved away from the oily people on book covers sort of style. And I cannot get that out of my mind because I'd never thought of it that way. But now <laughs> it is the only way that I will be thinking about it. And like what it must do to the upholstery, right? Like, oh, God, <laughs> like just the yeah, I can't. It's it's very stressful for me to think. about. So I'm, again, I'm with you, Tanya. I'm glad we've moved on. Uh, it turns out that the thing that I thought was a Dutch oven is actually a double boiler because I don't cook. And so I am I mean, there's a salad spinner apparently that exists. There's a lot of things I don't know about food and cooking, which is why, as Michelle pointed out, when I talked about the middle of somewhere, I did not mention the fact that Rex does an extraordinary amount of cooking in that book, because I'm going to be honest with you, Michelle, and everyone, I it did not, I had no idea. I could tell you a bunch of different things about that book that would not have been one of them, <laughs> I guess. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to talk more about this lack of your your supposed lack of food expertise later in the show because it's going to be relevant to mm -hmm. one of our discussion points. Yes. So, yes, we will come back to this. Yeah. And to be fair, it's more of a lack of cooking expertise. I I know food quite well. Uh, well, there and I've you gotten go. to know it better <laughs> during the pandemic. Um the you know, it's uh yeah, let's I just let someone else do do the the, the work part. So, fair enough. But yeah, okay, so before we can jump into that discussion, I will pass it back to you and we will do an ASBOT. Yes, I am happy to tell you all about our first sponsor, which is Christina Lauren's The Soulmate Equation, which asks the question, can an algorithm find your soulmate? When single mom Jess tries out a new app that uses DNA to identify likely suitors, she is shocked to discover that she's a nearly perfect match with River, the app's creator. Too bad she has already met him and it did not go well. But the startup's investors have visions of good PR dancing in their heads, so they offered a pay Jess to give River a chance. As they dip their toes into the dating pool, they discover the app might be right, but is it really science or just chemistry? So this is a Tinder meets 23andMe premise uh, and a rom-com, as you might expect, from New York Times bestselling author duo Christina Lauren. This is also their hardcover debut. Very exciting for them. And it's an opposites attract romance that has heart and humor, but also digs into some real family issues that readers might relate to. And it also, also was just selected as an Indie Next pick for June. So congratulations to them. You can go to thesoulmateequation.com to learn more. And again, that is The Soulmate Equation from Christina Lauren. Well, I have to say uh, a book where two people meet and it does not go well <laughs> is actually not a terrible transition into our discussion about Vivid by Beverly Jenkins. Uh, it is time once again for One in Romance Book Club. Before we get into the book itself, um, we have talked a ton about Beverly Jenkins on this show, but she's never been the subject of, of a book club for us. We've never done kind of that sort of organized read. But I think uh, Jess and I are both well established as fans. Jen, where where is your Beverly Jenkins-ness lie? 
<laughs> what a great question. Yeah, so I'm a fan. I am definitely a fan. In fact, the timing of this, as you know, was super serendipitous because when you were looking for a fill-in host for Jess, I had just gotten my library hold of Wild Rain In, which is Ms. Bev's most recent book. So I was like, well, here we go. Back to back Beverly Jenkins. Like, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. I I wish I could remember the first one of her books that I've read. I cannot. I, I even tried now that we've recorded this so many <laughs> times. I was like, can I can I recall? The, the, the answer is no. But I've been a reader for many years now. And I was also lucky enough to meet her in person because she very kindly agreed to be one of our speakers at Book Riot Live back when that was a thing. So I, I am a huge fan and, and was really excited to dive into vivid because I don't know that I have read that far back in her catalog. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we talked about. By the way, it is definitely leveling up to to have met Ms. Bev in person. So that is that is next level. Well done. I'm very lucky. I'm a very lucky person. <laughs> uh, but we did talk about the fact that this is this book is the way I described it is both historical and kind of old. Um, <laughs> it's I believe the second book that she published and it came out in 1995. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about whether sort of the degree to which it holds up or what seemed like it might be a little bit more dated. But before we do that, a quick summary. And as I as is always the case on When in Romance Book Club, we don't intend to be super spoilery about anything. But it's a book club, so we'll Mm -hmm. see what happens. So the book takes place in the 1870s. Dr. Vivica Lancaster, who goes by Vivid, uh, has been, you know, she's completed her medical training. She grew up in California, went to school out east um, at a women's college for medical professionals, and she is trying to find a job. It's a little tricky for her as a black woman in the 1870s to find a job as a doctor, but she gets an offer for a small, uh, mostly black community in Michigan. So she takes this sort of epic and racist and in some points full of, you know, card playing a uh, train ride out to Michigan. And she meets up with the person who is picking her up from the train station, who it turns out is the mayor of the town, who did not know that the new doctor that he was picking up was a woman. and. As, you know, we mentioned before, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go great. He basically wants to put her back on a train and send her away because he is confident that she is going to leave, that she is not tough enough, that she probably isn't a very good doctor because she is female. There's a whole lot of sexism there. But don't worry, Nate, the mayor slash other main character of this book, does come around. Did I did I miss anything major there, Jen? No, I think that's a really good... Summary. It's so hard to summarize romance novels in particular for me. So I I think that was well done. And, you know, I was kind of astonished, actually, at how well this held up in a lot of regards. I think that, you know, Vivid is a very contemporary feeling heroine, actually. Like, I I could see her getting written, you know, yesterday, five years ago, five years in the future. Like, she feels extremely current to me, which is a funny thing to say about a historical heroine, I think. But do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I flagged in this book is that there is, there are places where she is trying to figure out sort of once, you know, a connection has been made. They've gotten over, you know, some of the past. She's trying to figure out, you know, she did not come there to get married. She not. She didn't intend that. And she's trying to figure out whether she can balance, you know, potentially love and marriage and, and even family with the fact that she is very professionally focused. She's really, really determined to you know, be focused on her career. And she's really good at it. And I was, Mm -hmm. I've I've thought a lot about that, because I don't know 
if that is it's a conflict that we think of as being very modern, mm-hmm. but in reality, you know, professional women have probably always been trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She's also extremely sassy in a way I find yes. very delightful. Like there's there's a point in the beginning of the book where she's a sh- she's like an yes. expert shot with a rifle and she shoots Nate's hat off his head because he's walking away from her and refusing to discuss something and she's not done talking to him. She's she's a poker player, mm-hmm. she's a billiards pro. She hustles, you know, men into like owing her money mm-hmm. for, you know, her skills. Like it's it's she's She's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. She feels. Nate, however. I was going to say, yeah, she feels very much like a Beverly Jenkins heroine to me. And this is a thing that, you know, we even talked about a little before before any of our recordings, which is that he is much more of a jerk than a lot of what I'm used to seeing in a Beverly Jenkins book, like to the point where to me, I knew she would eventually redeem him. But for a minute, he kind of seemed irredeemable. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's real frustrating at the get-go, especially because of some of the comments that he makes when he first comes to pick her up at the train station, you know, he's telling her she's too beautiful, which is just mm-hmm. like garbage, garbage, garbage. That continues to this day, by the way. I read an Ask a Manager question the other day where some manager was complaining about how their direct report was too attractive, and Allison Green, bless her forever, was like, you are the problem here. <laughs> yes. Do better. So, like, this is, this is apparently a problem forever. Um, uh, but but yeah, he's a very, you know, polite alpha hole is mm-hmm. the phrase I want to keep using. He's he's not a cinnamon roll, for example, like Garrett in Wild Rain, mm-hmm. uh, which is the, you know, the most recent book. But also, to be fair, Garrett is the only cinnamon roll that Bev has ever written. She says so herself in the end of that book. So but, but you know, there's there's a wide range between alpha hole and cinnamon roll, which is where I think her heroes usually are. Yeah, and I I do think there's a prologue in this that was a little different than kind of what I'm used to seeing from her, where we see the dissolution of Nate's first marriage, partly because, honestly, and Beverly Jenkins does not write exes or women this way, but this woman particularly seemed like she was also kind of a jerk, like she was cheating on him. She didn't want to be there. She didn't want to be in Michigan. And I think part of the reason that that prologue is there is so that as readers – we know a little bit of where he's coming from. Like we can at least understand that he was hurt by this and it has impacted him. And so even though there is that feeling of like, why do you think that just because she's a woman and she's beautiful that she can't handle Michigan winter? Like she can't possibly be the first beautiful woman who has ever existed in Michigan. But (laughs) when you see kind of what, you know, what that dynamic looks like with his wife, you kind of, you kind of get it. I will say, too, one of the things that for this book, it felt very much like Beverly Jenkins and even reminded me kind of of her Blessing series, which is her more her modern day series, mm. is that there's a huge focus on the community, right? It's, it's a story about these two people, but it's also a story about all of the people around them. Yeah, I loved, loved, loved all of the supporting characters, which like went so far as to include animals, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's an amazing sequence at the end in which the villain is defeated by this like Cinderella-esque league of animals, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is just so, I was not expecting it, quite frankly. It was very enjoyable. And and there are so many, they have so many great scenes. Like 
you know, you know, and I think anybody who has seen my Instagram knows that when I read this book, I like read this book Mm -hmm. and I was so taken by some of these, uh, you know, supporting character sequences. Like there's one where Vivica's family has come to visit her and are staying with Nate and his in Nate and his aunt's house. And his aunt, Miss Abigail, you know, has cooked this meal. And Vivica's father, who's a chef, is asking her about this bread that she's made. And, you know, she's like, oh, it's just like cornmeal and oatmeal and some honey. And he's like, I'll take it back to my restaurant and call it Abigail bread. And Beverly Jenkins is so good at historical details that I was convinced that this was like a thing I had never heard of, <laughs> that Abigail bread was like a real thing. So I started Googling and it it actually isn't. But I did find a recipe for an oat cornbread, which I then made and ate while reading more of the book. And it was delicious and exciting. And I, okay, this is because you did not just make bread. No. <laughs> I made jam too. Mm-hmm. And and this is this is the thing I want you all to know is that first of all, and I think this might apply to you Trisha, this kind of bread making is baking. Yeah. And I can bake. Yeah. You're not kneading anything. There's no like rise yeast situation. Mm-hmm. No, this is you mix some dry ingredients together. You add your wet ingredients, you throw it in the oven and it comes out and it's ready to put in your face. Mm-hmm. And so like I really, truly believe that you can all make this bread, too. I'm putting the recipe I used in the show notes. And anybody can make jam if you have a good, like decent heavy bottom pot and some fruit and some so- like if you had a Dutch Some oven, sugar. for example. <laughs> a Dutch oven is going to be too big for jam making. Oh, man. I thought I'd learned a kitchen thing. <laughs> you are so Shoot. close. Right. Don't use a double boiler to make jam <laughs> either, y'all. Um, well, those are the only pans I know. So I'm out of luck I, now. <laughs> well, there you go. But I'm putting a, I'm going to put a recipe for jam in the, in the show notes because when I discovered, and this was a couple years ago, and it's all great British Bake Off's fault because they would be like, oh, and now I'm just making the jam. And you watch them and you're like, is that really all there is to it? Like you throw some fruit and some Mm -hmm. sugar and a little bit of lemon juice in a pan and then you like stir it for a while and jam comes out? The answer is yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that amazes me. Like I am so impressed. Like you said, this book reads very quickly. So I'm impressed that you're like, you know what? I could use a little break from reading. I think I will make the thing that I just read about (laughs) in the book. It makes me wish that we lived closer to each other so that like the next time you read, you know, something by like Sonali Dave and they're yes. talking about like the delicious, you know, tiki masala that they put together. I'll be like, oh, Jen, I don't know if you've read this. <laughs> Maybe we could swing by. I am not as good at cooking. Actually, I agree with you. I'm not as good at cooking as I am at baking. So so Sonali Dave recipes might be a bridge too far for me. But but so wait, but I want to rewind here for a second because the historical details like yes. this is, I think, a, a Jenkins signature is that she drops these amazing nuggets mm-hmm. of U.S. history and that like I never learned. Yeah. Right. Like these are things I have no idea about. Yeah. And they're they are very, very detailed. And I will say that is you are 100 percent right. That's a thing that exists in all of her books, both the modern series and her historicals. To me, it felt It feels to me like she's gotten better at sort of integrating it a little more smoothly. Like it it was not, it didn't take me out of the story really that many times. But I mean, and there probably are like 30 different instances of this, right? But there were like two or three times where it sort of felt like, is this to explain that like a month has passed? Like I don't, (laughs) there's like specific thing about, and then the men had to go and vote in a thing. And it turned out the winner was this person. And then like they're back at the normal 
place where they live, right? Like it was just right. sort of a straight. But anyway, it's yeah, I have been long petitioning to get Beverly Jenkins added to historical curriculum in high schools across at least the United States. I feel like if I had learned not just historical information, but like some sex ed from something like Beverly Jenkins in high school, I would have been a much more prepared and thoughtful person yes. <laughs> for the rest yeah. of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can feed two birds with one hand there. I That's 100% right. agree. That's right. Although the, and there was, yeah. I I think I didn't remember there being as much sex in her books as there was in this book, but I mean, it's a romance novel. It was not surprising. Yeah. It was interesting to contrast that in Wild Rain because there are comparable amounts of sex, but the context is very different, which was interesting. And and I think that's just like, of course, you know, this book is written, what, 25, 20 years yeah, ago? Yeah, 25, uh, yeah. And, you know, Wild Rain is like from last month or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I do think you can see sort of an evolution of both her style and her, you know, heroes, as we said. But her heroines, to me, are, are you know, the most amazing parts of her books. And that seems to stay very consistent, regardless of how far back or forward you go. Yeah, she writes very strong, compelling, deep women. And I think that's both the the heroines who tend to be the main characters, but also like Miss Abigail is yeah. a great character. Like there are other people too who kind of yeah who who get to get to be a part of it also and i you know if i could ask her one question about this book it would be whether there's anything that stands out to her that she would do differently right mm. like is there would she have toned nate down at all or did, does she feel kind of like he's he stands like he's redeemed enough that it works like i wonder i would i would wonder kind of like what it is like to be thinking back on the way that she was writing, even just earlier in her career, mm-hmm. but also in a romance landscape that has changed significantly over uh, much more than her books have changed over the last 25 years. The landscape, I think, generally has changed significantly. That's such a good point. That is really interesting to think about. Well, and sort of related, I guess if I was going to ask her something It would be about, you know, like the differences between writing a hero like Nate and writing a hero like Garrett, who is, in fact, a cinnamon roll. And Mm -hmm. and across that whole spectrum, like, is it is it harder or easier to write one kind versus the other? Because you're always balancing, right? Where do the obstacles in the relationship come from? Are they internal? Are they baggage? Are they external? Like, where do they come from and how do they play out? And I have to imagine that. Everybody has their own preferences about how to write those and where how they fit into the different personalities at play. But I wonder what hers are. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, well, the next time you have an event at which (laughs) we are joined by by Beverly Jenkins, then we we're we're now we're set. We know exactly what to ask her. That's right. We know. Yeah. Uh, And I think I mean, I'm, I'm just based on our conversation here today. It seems to me like we would both. Very much recommend Vivid. I actually already ordered the next book. In the, it's a two-part series. The second book is about Nate's cousin, who we didn't even talk about because we don't have time. But I think, yeah, it's it has a, a very uh, Dr. Quinn medicine woman, woman kind of kind of feel to it. Yeah, that is that was one of my first thoughts that like took me back to my childhood TV watching. But it's you know it's the anti-racist Doctor yes. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> because yeah. problems, yeah. right? Like, exactly. Problems. Yeah. So just maybe stick with Vivid. Maybe stick. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When you're making your uh, 1870s female doctor decisions, <laughs> I think that is where we would steer you. 
All right. So before we get into some other different kinds of books, let me thank our other sponsor. I've mentioned before on podcasts that I've recorded with Jess that this is one of my favorite sponsors. Uh, This episode is brought to us by Emporia State University's School of Library and Information Management. The Master's of Library Science program at Emporia State University is an ALA-accredited program that offers you the flexibility of online classes while also giving you a community of peers to build your professional network. Through a combination of instruction, students are able to form deep connections to the coursework, professors, other students, and practicing professionals in libraries. ESU offers a quick and affordable way to earn your MLS, with most students completing their degree in two years, even while working a full-time job. To learn more, visit our website at www.emporia.edu slim. That's www.emporia.edu slim. And then send Trisha an email and tell her, that you are excited about this because I really love the idea of someone listening to our podcast and then deciding to get a master's degree in library and information management. So that's just yeah, yeah, a little aside for everyone. <laughs> uh, well, Jen, as you mentioned earlier, you are a an SFF person, a science fiction fantasy person, and P as in paranormal. Oh yeah, that's in there somewhere. Yeah, do people ever call it SFFP? <laughs> not that I have ever seen. Is it, did I just start it? Oh my God, can you, you start you, doing that? Are we going to make fetch happen? Yeah, that, that could be yeah. a thing. <laughs> I, would, I would appreciate that. And please, <laughs> you don't have to credit me for more than like a year. Once it really takes off, <laughs> you don't have to credit me anymore. And actually, probably you shouldn't credit me at all because as we have mentioned on this show, uh, Jess and I both read a little bit of science fiction, fantasy, romance, but not a whole ton And so we thought this would be a great opportunity to get some recommendations from an expert. Yeah. So it's so funny that you should throw the P uh, in our our new SFFP Uh acronym in there. Because, right, so as I was putting together my recommendations, I was being my usual thorough self and like trying to hit all of the different sort of big buckets of science fiction and fantasy. So I was like, oh, okay, so fantasy and then paranormal and then sci-fi. But what do those things mean, right? Like this is an ongoing argument that I have with people on the regular. I have it with myself sometimes. I actually find that very validating. So thank you for mentioning that. (laughs) Yeah, it's really, they're wiggly. It's a spectrum, you know, and nothing I think is cut and dry. Although, again, some people will disagree with me, which is fine. Like there's plenty of room for us to all define these our own way. But for the purposes of this podcast and to like give y'all an idea of what I mean when I say this is a fantasy romance or this is paranormal or this is Mm sci-fi. So my quick and dirty definitions for these are that fantasy is where you really are focused on the magic. Like that's the primary difference in the world that we're in. And then paranormal, we get closer to like, you know, there's contemporary stuff. Maybe there's urban fantasy. Maybe there's shapeshifters, but maybe there's also some science going on. Maybe there's superpowers like that to me all lives under the umbrella of paranormal. It's extra normal. It's normal plus something else. And then sci-fi, and again, we're talking like quick and dirty here, is where the technology is the big difference. There's technology that we just don't have, or maybe there's aliens that we'll come back to be relevant (laughs) later. You know, just things that like we have some things like that, but we don't have anything exactly like that. It's, It's next level science and technology. Does that make sense? It does. 
Okay. It is incredibly helpful. Uh, so it sounds to me like, you know, just, just, just asking for, for future three minutes from now, Trisha, uh, <laughs> dragons would fit into fantasy. Yes. Yeah, dragons. Okay. Yeah. Although if they're in a city you could call it urban fantasy. Mm. So dragons in, in the 1940s in England, whatever, what, you, you know what? We'll tease it out later. I might, yeah, yeah, let's think about I'll see that. if I can think of an example and then, uh, we'll, you know, just just go from there. Um, but while I'm thinking through uh, my examples of, of SSFP uh, books, Jen, <laughs> I will let you offer our readers your much more informed opinion. Well, all right. So my very first recommendation is one of my fantasy recommendations. And I will caution y'all. I'm going to be upfront here. These are not technically category romances. However, I would never come on to a romance podcast and give you anything that didn't have at least a happy for now or a happily ever after. And these absolutely do. They play with romance tropes in amongst the great fantasy adventures. Um, and the books I'm talking about are, it's a two-book series, The Books of Amba by Tasha Suri. And this series is inspired by Mughal India. So it's an incredibly lush, fascinating bit of world building. And the main character, Mer, is the illegitimate daughter of a governor in this very like remote outpost of this empire. And then her mother, who she does not know because she has been exiled, is part of a tribe who has magic in their lineage, but are oppressed and marginalized because of that magic. And she herself does not know anything about her powers. She's been, you know, separated from all of those things. But of course, as happens, she discovers her powers and comes to the attention of the empire powers that be who come along and say, okay, like if you don't want to lose your family and maybe also we'll throw you in jail, like instead we are going to make you marry this other dude who has magic in his bloodline, marriage of convenience. Here we go. Sure. And you're going to come work for us. And so she has to say yes. And the dude in question is super not into this. Like he is not here for it. But they have to go on this epic trek across the desert. And, you know, there's only one tent. So that <laughs> gets complicated. <laughs> and uh, you see them as they start to both develop a relationship with each other and also try to deal with this horribly corrupt empire that they have been, you know, forced to work for. And it is it's that's just the first book. The second book takes picks up like some years later with Mare's uh, younger sister, who is facing her own very different set of problems. We've got a widow there and a second oh, chance boy. romance, which is a lovely trope I enjoy seeing. But yeah, they're so good. And the feelings are so great. And then the magic and the adventure are so captivating. So I just love these two books. And I'm not the only one who talks about these to romance readers. Amanda Deal from Smart Bitches Trashy Books has also so refer to these as romances. So I feel like I'm in a good company there. Yeah, Amanda knows uh, knows from romance. So yeah, I think that makes sense. Also, I'm pretty sure that you had everyone who listens to this podcast at There's Only One Ten. <laughs> uh, it's a favorite. It's a favorite among the wedding romance listening community. I will let you. I'm gonna let. <laughs> unlike the other times when we've recorded this, I'm gonna let you work through your whole list, and then we'll see um, how many I've got time to mention. Um, oh, you're so nice. <laughs> oh well, I mean, people get to hear from me all the time. You are a special guest. 
Ah, uh, well, I do have a lot of recommendations. I really tried to narrow it down, y'all, and I kind of, I kept, I kept telling Trisha, I'm like, I, I changed the agenda again. <laughs> I added another book, uh, but this one actually, you know, it, it has not been an easy road recording this. The, the podcast gods have not been smiling down <laughs> upon us in terms of technology, but it did give me an opportunity to finish a book that now I have to recommend to you all because it fits the theme so deeply. I just finished this book this morning. It's called In Deeper Water by F.T. Lukens. And this is a lovely male-male fantasy romance. The the publisher is actually pitching it as Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue meets Pirates of the Caribbean, which cracks nice. me up a little bit. Yeah, like that's that's a pitch right there. Yeah. <laughs> but Tal is a prince who has been very like cloistered for a long time because he has this magic that everybody's very afraid of and no one can know he has it. But it's the tradition in his royal family that when you're 16, you go on this like tour of the kingdom to meet your subjects and like get up to a little bit of hijinks before you then, you know, become a proper royal and like take up your responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera. So he's on this trip with his older brother as one of his guardians. And he's like trying to make sure that he keeps his magic on the DL, but actually maybe gets to do something. And they discover this, you know, burning wreck of a ship. There is a, a, a boy chained up in the ship. And that's not cool. This mysterious stranger also happens to be very attractive and kind of odd in a way that Tal is like, what's going on here? Also, you're super cute. Like, Aww. can't stop looking at you. It's very sweet. And then like all kinds of hijinks and things happen. This this mysterious stranger, Athlan, you know, leaps overboard into the ship and Tal is distraught and like, what is going on here? But then they run into each other again and it's clear that Athlan has like some more things going on. He has his own secrets and his own powers. And then there's a kidnapping plot and, you know, they have to like fake a, an encounter to distract people from what's really going on. And there is only one bed in more than one I instance. Mean, sure. And there's great family. There's great community. There's a lot of action. And the romance is so sweet. Oh, my goodness. These two cinnamon roll babies. I love them. Uh, so that's, again, In Deeper Waters by F.T. Lukens. And that one, it sounds like, okay, I'm I'm quizzing my new knowledge. Okay. It sounds like that one is also fantasy. Yes, that, sorry, that is a yes. fantasy. And it is very medieval in, in terms of, it's actually very medieval europe kind of. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I do have a paranormal for you. So, well, that's perfect because this is our SFFP segment. <laughs> yes. And this is also technically, again, like I'm doing air quotes, technically not category romance, but the the first three books in the Heroin Complex series by Sarah Kuhn are, I think, absolute great romance paranormal reads. If that's a thing that you're looking for, they are also so funny, y'all. So they take place in an alternate version of San Francisco where there are these other dimensions that keep interacting with ours and spawning forth things like demon cupcakes because uh, naturally. Obviously. Obviously, that's what's going to happen yeah. when, when dimensions interact. Yeah. And <laughs> some people in this San Francisco have superpowers like Aveda Jupiter, who is the best friend of Evie Tanaka, who is our narrator. 
And Aveda and Jupiter, or excuse me, Aveda and Evie have like a very complicated relationship. They've been best friends since childhood, but Aveda has gotten like kind of diva y and like things mm-hmm. are hard. But Evie is just like, well, whatever. Like I like to be in the background. I will be her assistant. I owe her for reasons that you don't find out until later. And, uh, and in the meantime, I'm just going to do my thing and like stay on the down low. But she ends up having to pose as Aveda for a public thing that then goes totally haywire. She also has the unhappy hots for a scientist on Aveda's team. They do not get along. They drive each other crazy, mm-hmm. which naturally means that they end up having a very steamy makeout session in a car uh, because, you know, that's what happens. <laughs> And it's such a good story about not only this romance, but the really complicated friendship dynamics that Evie and Aveda have, which I love to see. I Mm -hmm. love to see that. And then the next book follows Aveda. And then the third book follows Evie's younger sister, Bia. And each gets their own, like, romance plus, you know, demon slaying storyline. So, so, so fun. So relatable. Right. The demons, right? It's just one thing after another. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, All right. Are there other P's or are we moving on to a different app? No, we're moving on to a different. Although it just occurs to me, do do you readers want to know like how explicit things get in these? Should oh, I, yes. I yeah. Especially okay. probably the ones that you mentioned that are, don't necessarily fit in the romance category. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the books of Amba is there's like some you see the makeout specifically, but you don't get details of the sex. OK. And then actually in Deeper Waters is very sweet. They like. I don't even, it's not even necessarily implied that they have sex now that I'm thinking about it. So it's not explicit. Not explicit. Mm-hmm. Very sweet. Heroin complex, however, like I mentioned, a steamy car makeout, like definitely you get on the page sex in that one. It's super, super stu- steamy, super fun. It's a little variety. I like that. A little variety. Yeah, a little bit of, you know, something for everyone. Uh, I try. I try. Should I, should I do my fantasy? I want to hear about your fantasy pick though okay let me yeah let me do a couple of um well let me start with yes another well yeah my fantasy uh, so i kind of you might have deduced that uh it takes place in the 1940s and there's a dragon (laughs) Friarly by astor glenn gray is it's a beauty and the beast retelling wherein you kind of imagine the story that you know of beauty and the beast for many of us, I think it is the Disney version. So imagine that if Belle's dad, or in this case, Belle's name is Rose, got trapped in that castle, and instead of her coming to get him and switching him out, he just stays. So the parson, who is the the father of, of the sort of Belle character is Rose in this book, he's trying to pick a rose for his daughter. He's coming back from a trip. He... Uh, stealing an enchanted rose he doesn't realize it and then this dragon comes and says no that is an enchanted rose and you now have to stay here um forever now obviously the parson does not want to stay there forever he also does not want to send his daughter but uh we find out very early in this beauty and the beast retelling about the curse that um the dragon is the beast the entire sort of castle is enchanted there are a few servants there who are invisible And it is the same sort of traditional Beauty and the Beast story where the beast, in this case, the dragon, has to learn how to love or else they don't know. The curse, you know, will consume them all. There actually, there's a lot of discussion of turning to pillars of salt and sort of (laughs) Sodom and Gomorrah kind of side of things. So they don't know what's going to happen, but they're only like two or three months away from it being 100 years. So it's, it's, I mean, that's kind of enough setup, I think. It's a... The things I will tell you in addition about this are that it is a male-male romance and there is a lot of discussion of kind of love and sort of guilt 
And it's because it takes place in the 1940s, but one of the characters is from the 1840s. There is a lot of shame in terms of how some of these characters feel about their sexuality and their level of attraction. But it is incredibly kind of charming and gentle and, and like sweet. Like at one point, the parson thinks that maybe he can teach the dragon to love by getting him a dog. So they get him a dog and her she has no back legs. So then they like create a little roller skate for her to be able to, you know, trail around on. And they just pack a lot of story into it's relatively short. It's, it's definitely novella length. Um, I read it in probably one sitting, you know, 60 or 90 minutes. And it's just very lovely. Like it's just this one. Uh, it, it, there also is no um, sex, either explicit or otherwise. It just is not part of that story. Probably falls a little bit more on the HFN side of the happily for now part of the spectrum. But it's really just lovely and just nice. It's just a nice read. Like as I mentioned, there are sort of some heavy, heavy elements around shame and guilt. And so that's not for you, then that's absolutely okay. If that's not for you, I will let Jen throw out another recommendation that might be for you. <laughs> yeah. I would just side note my heart. It's like, what if you loved a dog? Like, how did I know. we not think of that sooner? Yes. So lovely. <laughs> because that's a pure love. If ever I there know. was a pure love, I'm going to yeah. agree that. Yeah. Her name is Daisy. Oh, Daisy. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, let's see. I have done the FP of our SFFP. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now I will do the SF. I Another really fun series, because I, I have been thinking about fun series reading for summer, even though I don't get to do summer reading because, you know, 80% of my reading is work related. Uh, mm -hmm. These are the books that I would read this summer if I could. So yeah. I am recommending for my sci-fi pick, Touched by an Alien, uh, which is the first in the Catherine Kitty Cat series by Jeannie Koch. And as you might have guessed from the title, this has aliens in it. It is sure. a, if you ever thought, like, what if Men in Black was a romance? This is for yes. you. Like, if that's a thing that you want, complete with, like, that kind of slapstick, doofy Men in Black humor, this is your book. Our main character, Kitty, is on jury duty, having like a very normal, mundane life experience. And mm -hmm. she comes out of the courthouse, like ready to go home. And instead, there's some like dude who turns into a monster and is going on a killing spree and everything's crazy. And she like sort of out of it has an out of body experience where she suddenly snaps into action and helps take down the monster. And it's like, whew, where did that come from? And sure. also there are all these law enforcement officials that are like, hey, where did that? come from mm -hmm. and so she gets hustled into you know a black suv surrounded by you know suits and earpiece people except then it turns out that the monster was an alien and also some of these government officials are also aliens they're also model hot all of them of course because it turns out that's a thing that aliens are sometimes and, you know, she is drawn into this government conspiracy alien situation that also involves extremely hot aliens that you end up having sex with because obviously of that's, course. What that's what happens next. And <laughs> it is so silly and fun. It's just like candy is, is how I want to say it. Like, it's just so, so silly and fun. I've, and, and the characters are really enjoyable. And yeah, I, I, if you just want to like escape into that kind of premise, then you cannot do a better job. Uh, so again, that's Touched by an Alien by Jeannie Koch. 
And I have to say, I'm so grateful to you for reminding me and other readers that SSF books, uh, SFF, SFP, I, <laughs> I made it up and I can't even say it. The books that we're discussing uh, can actually be very funny. Yeah. Like, I think that's a thing that I sometimes forget. I'm a, a rom-com lover, but I don't always think of science fiction, fantasy, paranormal books as being like comedic. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about, too, because, you know, I you might think that I would read mostly sci-fi fantasy romance, but actually it's it's actually pretty even. Like when I look at my distribution of romance reads, I read a lot of contemporary more than I ever thought I would read, honestly, and historicals as well as sci-fi fantasy. So and I, I think you know this about me, Trisha. I do enjoy some angst mm-hmm. in my romance sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. I forget that I've read and really enjoyed funny ones. But this, especially because this show, like, I know that your listeners, you know, know about Alyssa Cole's Off the Grid series. I know mm-hmm. that y'all know about Psy Changeling by Nalini Singh, which is one of my other paranormal favorites. I mean, y'all have read these books. You know these authors. So I was digging through my shelves trying to find things that I thought maybe you wouldn't have thought of or had not heard about for a while. So this was a really fun opportunity for me to like go digging in my romance archives and find some stuff that I was like, oh, yeah, I loved that. I forgot about that. Yeah. And I I will just mention very quickly The Heart is a Universe by Sherry Thomas, because I'm and I'm mentioning it for two reasons. First of all, it's a it's a kind of book where there is a chosen one who is meant to sacrifice herself for the universe. But she really doesn't want to and is like, unlike Katniss, she's like plotting to get herself out of it. (laughs) Um, And I can't tell you a lot more about that book, except that it ends in a way that I absolutely didn't expect. I really liked, but I think some people might find it a little abrupt. But again, it's relatively short. And that's the other reason I'm mentioning it is that I was realizing as I kind of go through that I'm much more likely to read outside of my traditional reading if I'm reading something that is a short story length Mm. or a novella length. And you, Jen, might be able to ha- help me with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I-, I actually think we're in a bit of a golden age of novellas in the sci-fi fantasy world. And 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 you see this a lot, especially with, I think, Tor.com as a publisher, I want to point out, both for releasing mm-hmm. a lot of novellas and getting in on the romance game. Like, when you look at their book announcements lately, they are really leaning into romantic elements in a lot of their stuff, which I find fascinating. Like, it's really interesting to me that, you know, I think, I know y'all talk about this, but how romance has gotten more mainstream and has mm-hmm. is getting more much-deserved recognition for being, like, the amazing, vibrant, diverse genre that it is. And so I, I think it's interesting that other publishers are like, oh, yeah, we want a piece of that. Like, yes, we should all want a piece of this. And I hope it mm-hmm. means that more people get to do more interesting things with their romance stories. Yeah, Deal with the Devil by Kit Rosha was a tour book. I've talked about that one a bunch on the show. I was thinking, though, that you might even be able to help more directly. Like, would you be willing to, like, edit a collection, maybe, of – Oh. Do you have one upcoming that people might be interested in? Oh, (laughs) oh, well, That's how humble you are. You had no idea I was trying to get you to uh, to talk about your book. (laughs) 
That's so funny. So yes, thank you that is for reminding me that I'm supposed to be promoting myself sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> I am the co-editor alongside Swapna Krishna of an anthology of Arthurian retellings because I love me a King Arthur story. Mm-hmm. And we specifically went after a cross-genre selection of contributors. So and like this is I just I I can't say this without feeling excited all over again. Sarah McLean is one of our contributors, mm-hmm. which is so exciting. We have a coffee shop AU retelling of Lancelot and Elaine. We've got several stories in there that have great romance in them and legit like HFN, if not HEA. And and also just a bunch of other good stuff. So that is called Swordstone Table, and it comes out on July 13th, and you can pre-order it now. And we're actually going to be announcing a fun extra prize for people who pre-order, so stay tuned about that. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited. I will be pre-ordering. Oh, thank you. It's it's fun. I it's I like obviously I'm going to say this, but it is actually really good. Yeah. See, I mean, it's nice to be able to have a thing you can stand behind. Yeah. And thank you just for being here. This has been a delight all three times. Um, I think even especially this last time. So thank you for joining us. I worked on I worked on some fresh material for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the people will know, I know and I appreciate it. And trust me, everybody. Yeah, this was this was, third time's a charm. Um, uh, if folks want to check in with you, talk more about SFFP recommendations <laughs> or others, uh, where might they find you? Yeah, that's my favorite new thing, Trisha, I have to say. <laughs> um, uh, so so people can check in with me. I'm on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. And you can find me on Instagram, where I am most of the time, as I am Jen IRL. All right. As always, you can find me and Jess at whenandromance at bookriot.com. I am on mostly Instagram at Trisha Haley Brown. Huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink, who is editing out some street noise since we are recording in the (laughs) afternoon today. Please do find us. Let us know what you're thinking about the show. What is what you're thinking about, about romance storytelling in general. Uh, please rate and review the podcast so that other people can find it. And uh, stay tuned, Jen. We'll see, we'll see when we see you back here on When in Romance. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And as Jess always advises you, if you are reading these days, happy reading.